0: Uh, Pastor Charlie and I get on a plane tomorrow morning for Nevada, and we'll be ministering out there for a week to uh, pastors in tiny towns, um, little churches. Um, Most of these pastors have not had Bible training, theological training. Um, Most of them have full-time jobs that they work at, apart from pastoring. And then we'll be teaching at a uh, pastor's conference on Friday and having a men's conference on Saturday And uh, next Sunday, I'll be preaching at a church in Nevada. So, appreciate your prayers for us. Um, We'll be working with one of our missionaries that we support out there, uh, Larissa Craig, and uh, looking forward to that time. But we would really covet your prayers. We'll try to keep you updated via the church Facebook page as we go. If you want to find in your Bibles Luke chapter 11 this morning, Luke chapter 11. Um, last year, Fox Television put on a new show called Lucifer. Um, now, Lucifer is the name given to Satan in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. It, unless you have a King James Bible or New King James, it's probably not in your Bible. Um, it's simply translated as the morning star or son, son of the morning, day star, something like that. It seems to be speaking about the enemy uh, in that passage. <clears throat> The show on television is a rendition of a graphic novel. It's a story about uh, Satan that he decides that he wants to leave hell. Uh, They describe it in Fox as no longer be the Lord of hell. Um, Just an FYI, Satan has never been nor ever will be the Lord of hell. God is the Lord of hell. Uh, Satan is one day going to be a full-time resident there. He's not in charge. But the storyline goes like this. He's tired of being uh, overseeing hell, and he moves to, uh, of all places, uh, L.A., the, the city of angels. <laughs> and he has his wings clipped there, and he uh, purchases an upscale nightclub and becomes a consultant to the L.A. police department. And, and I've never watched the show. I've seen trailers and so forth, and it's uh, kind of depicted as a, uh, a comedy. At least there's comedic um, relief in it. And I thought about that and I thought for for somebody like me that believes Satan actually exists, to to kind of um, find humor in a story about him is troubling. To me, that's like finding humor in a story of um, mass famine or something like that. And yet it's not surprising that some people would find it to be funny. Statistics tell us that... uh, Almost half of Americans don't believe in a personification of evil, that there's an actual being that is on the forefront of fomenting evil in the world. What's even more intriguing is that 60% of American Christians, people who identify themselves as Christians, they also don't believe that Satan exists. Now make no mistake about it. Satan is perfectly content with that state of affairs. He is absolutely thrilled when people don't believe in him. Why? Well, he can do more work. I mean, imagine um, we have intelligence operatives that work around the world. What they long to be true for them where they're working is nobody believes that they're there because then they can operate with impunity. And the same is true with the enemy of your souls. Now, let me say something. Because uh, every Sunday morning we assume there are people here who are followers of Jesus and those who are not. And one of the misconceptions about Satan, just like the one that he's in charge of hell, is that he only opposes God and his people. Now that, that's true. That's the tip of the spear. But make no mistake about it. He's a friend to no one. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, he, he hates you as much as he hates any of us. He's simply using you for his exploitive purposes. Luke chapter 11 talks about Jesus casting out a demon. And I want to talk about some things uh, about Satan, namely about his power, or maybe I should say the the limits to his power. Because I I wonder how many of us... How many of us wrestle sometimes with uh, doubts and uncertainties about our faith? I wonder how many of us um, talk to people about Christ and we see a receptivity there, but when push comes to shove, they back away and say, no, no, I I, I don't want want to do that. I wonder how many of us struggle with some sort of sin um, area in our lives. Maybe it's a as we talked about last week, maybe it's an area of unforgiveness for someone who's wronged us um, long ago, and we just can't seem to get past it. Uh, maybe it's a, a, a lust a problem that we can't seem to make any progress with. I wonder how many of us set out good, <clears throat> excuse me, good ambitions to have a, a time with the Lord every day, but it doesn't seem that it ever works out, no matter how disciplined we try to be, no matter how... Um, um, Changes we try to make in our schedule just doesn't seem to ever work out. And how in, in light of those questions, we end up simply concluding, well, I'm not, I'm not trying hard enough. I'm not self-disciplined enough. I didn't make my case to this unbeliever well, well enough. Um, on and on and on, where we dismiss those problems as merely there's some sort of human obstacle that has to be overcome. When in reality, the truth may be far darker than that. Now, one of the dangers, when we look at Satan's um, work, one of the dangers is that we go to this extreme or to this extreme and say, this extreme is every problem in my life or problems that I see in the world are simply demonic. It's the devil doing everything. And we don't give credit to any human contribution. The flip side is just as dangerous. That, that, that we say the, the devil doesn't exist. Devil doesn't exist. Devil does exist. It's all the devil. It's none of the devil. My guess is that all those things that we struggle with, there's a human element and there's a supernatural evil element in play. Let's read these verses together. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 14. One day Jesus cast out a demon from a man, excuse me, who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. Now, demons that we see in Scripture manifest their power in many, many ways. Uh, Sometimes it's physical um, evidences like this. Sometimes it's violence. Sometimes it's... um, Uh, Just a person that can't be around normal people because of uh, his reactions and so forth. A lot of different manifestations. Physical, emotional, so forth. The crowds were amazed. But some of them said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Others, trying to test Jesus, demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. Now he knew their thoughts, so he said, Any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You say, I'm empowered by Satan. But if Satan is divided, by, uh, is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive? And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. But if I am casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For when a strong man like Satan is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I'm going to return to that person I came from. And so it returns and it finds that its former home is all swept and in order. And then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. Father God, I pray... um, Against the enemy that we're talking about this morning, we pray that um, even though we can't see him and even though we can't hear him, um, we can't apprehend him with any of our senses, nonetheless, we know he's here. And we know that he doesn't want us to know anything about what he's up to, about his schemes, his strategies, his exploitations. And so we need him taken off the board this morning so that he is not trying those things with us. And conversely, we we desperately need the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to give us understanding, to warn us about dangers, and yet to comfort us about greater realities. And I pray that um, you would guard us against fear and also guard us against the folly of disbelieving him or not believing him to be as strong as he actually is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Now, this encounter here with Jesus is ultimately an encounter with Satan, Satan and Jesus clashing. And what was troubling for the people that saw this was they didn't really know how to categorize what Jesus was doing. These are critics, and they cannot accept the fact or they accept his claim, that he has come to them from God. They just can't believe that. But they can't deny the supernatural work that he has been doing and is doing. They know he's got power more than a human being. But if they can't um, connect his power with God's power, there's only one other option. And that is that they have to link his power with Satan's power. And so that's their, that's their criticism. Yo, the only reason that you have the ability to cast out demons or heal people or do other miracles is that you get your power from Satan. And Jesus says, wait a minute, that doesn't, that's not even logical. After all, if I am empowered by Satan, I'm casting out demons that are doing Satan's bidding. In other words, I'm working against Satan, and yet you say, I'm in league with him. You say, I'm in cahoots with him. So Jesus is trying to clear up their flawed thinking. And as he does this, he gets to verse 20. And this really is the key, verses 20 and 21. uh, I'm sorry, 21 and 22. These are the key verses in this text for us. Because my guess is nobody you talk to who's even not a believer would think that Jesus, when he lived here, if he had supernatural power, was exercising it by virtue of being in league with Satan. That's not the issue for us today. But whether or not Satan is more powerful or less powerful than Jesus is an issue. And it's an issue for us as believers today. And so Jesus says this, <clears throat> again going back to verse 21, when a strong man like Satan is fully armed, and I understand some of the more literal translations don't put like Satan, but that is what he was talking about. He was he was referring to this Uh, making this kind of cliche in light of Satan's power. When a strong man like Satan is fully armed, guards his palace, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. Who's he talking about? Who do you think he's talking about? What's that? God. Yeah, he's talking about God. And specifically, Jesus coming in the power of God and wrecking Satan's power by being able to cast out demons, by being able to interfere with the work that Satan's trying to do here in the world. And in the shadow is the big picture of what the power of God is up to, namely, sending Jesus to die for the sins of the world. And thereby, as John says in 1 John 3, 8, breaking the power of God of the devil once and for all. And so Jesus is saying, look, you, you don't need to worry about Satan and his power. It is nothing compared to God's power. And then Jesus goes on to say this in verse 23, you're either for me or against me. You are either for me or against me. Now we talk about this many, many times here at Keystone, that there are, there are two kinds of people in the world. You're either for Jesus or you are against Jesus none of us get to sit this out and say, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm, I'm not really a big fan of Jesus. And I'm not sure I want to, I want to go down that road and, and say, he's my Lord and Savior. Uh, but I'm not, a, I, I, I'm certainly not in, in the devil's camp. I'm, I'm not over here. And the scripture insists that's not an option. There's no neutrality with Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you have not said yes to Jesus, I understand that for many of us that's, that was a process and that maybe you're on the way, but I, I want it to be clear to you. There's no middle ground. You either decide for Jesus or by virtue of not deciding for Jesus, you decide against Jesus. That's the only option there is. Here's the good news. And Jesus is working behind the scenes to draw you to him. He's working behind the scenes. And so that interest that you have in Christ, the intrigue that you have about him is not accidental. That's part of God's power working within you. Let's talk for the rest of our time about when humans like us clash with Satan. We know what happens when... excuse me, when Jesus clashes with Satan, Satan always loses unless God allows him to win for his own purposes. But what happens when humans and Satan clash? Now, let's talk first about unbelievers and then about believers. We see time and time again when Jesus was here on earth, him casting out demons from people. Now, what's interesting, when you go to the left of the four Gospels... And go to the Old Testament, you don't see a lot of that. And when you go to the right of the four Gospels, you don't see a lot of that. What I mean is you don't see a lot of demons being cast out of people. And I don't know exactly why that is. I have my suspicions. I think because the Son of God came in to destroy the works of the devil, that it may be that that it drew a concentration of demonic activity during the season that Jesus was here ministering. I don't know that to be true. I do know that the demons haven't gone away. It's not that they didn't exist in the Old Testament. It's not that they stopped existing in the New Testament later on. They still exist. One of the things that I do suspect, especially in our culture, is that uh, demons have learned that the uh, upfront, in-your-face kind of manifestations may not be nearly as effective as the subtle behind-the-scenes stuff. That's a theory. What we see Jesus doing when he casts out demons, it seems like it's, in every case, it's casting out demons not from people who are following him. It's from people who follow him after he casts the demons out. And so I think it's fair to uh, at least suspect that Jesus is casting demons out of unbelievers. And that would make much more sense because they don't have the power of God in them to fight off the effects of demons. And so Jesus in many cases is ordering demons out. Is that the way we deal with satanic influence in unbelievers today? I don't think so. Now you you shouldn't hear me or assume I, what I'm saying is that there's never a time to cast out a demon. I believe demons exist. I believe that their work, uh, in some extreme cases, requires casting them out. Ekbalo is the Greek word in the New Testament. But I suspect that more typically, instead of casting someone out, the solution to the demon is inviting someone in, namely Jesus Christ. As I said in this passage in 1 John 3, it says that Jesus came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. How did he primarily do that? The testimony of the New Testament is Jesus died for sinners like you and me. Went to the cross, took our sins upon himself, rose from the dead so that he might have victory over the enemy. Now, let me take you to a couple of passages. Try to drive this point point home. 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 26. <clears throat> Second Timothy 2, 26. Then they, uh, let me start at 25. We need a little context here. Gently instruct um, those who oppose the truth. Paul is giving these instructions to his friend Timothy, who's a pastor in Ephesus. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. And then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Now, that's not a picture of a believer. It might be somebody in their church, but it's not a picture of a believer. And he says that this person or these people have been held captive by the devil to do whatever he wants. Listen, when you, before you were a Christian, you could not do what you wanted. You were being, you were being uh, dancing on the puppet strings controlled by the enemy. It says that about all of us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, it says that we were, uh, we were under the control of the evil one. We were in his uh, sphere of influence. We were doing what he wanted us to do. Again, this goes back to this idea there is no neutrality when it comes to God and Satan. None. We're either for Christ and against Satan, or we are against Christ and for Satan. There's, there's no middle ground. Hence... The responsibility, I think, if we see evidence of demonic work in an unbeliever, the premier responsibility is to call them to Christ, call them to Christ, call them to Christ. Now, some people who have worked in casting out demon work, deliverance work, uh, have told me what they often see when they invite, have someone invite Christ in, is now there's going to be a radical manifestation of demonic activity. But ultimately, the solution is Jesus, 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 Jesus. And part of the reason for that is when I was not a Christian, I grew up in a church, I, was, uh, I made a profession of faith when I was a kid. Many of you know my story. Didn't come to Christ till 25. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 4, it says that me, just like the rest of us, um, were blinded by Satan so that we could not see the goodness of the gospel. And I was that guy. It didn't matter whether I was 15 or 23. I did not grasp the goodness of the gospel. I lived out of that church environment. I lived with an idea that I have to be good, 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 good. And if I'm good enough, good enough, good enough, good enough, God will accept me. Because the God of this age had blinded the minds of this unbeliever. You see what I'm saying? The gospel is so crucial for the person who is being affected by the enemy because they don't believe the gospel is good because they are are immersed in the world of Satan and doing what he desires them to do. But thanks be to God, the power of the gospel is deliverance in Jesus Christ. So how do we deal as believers with Satan? I want you to turn to James Four verse seven, because here's the bad news. Because you have Christ living in you and the person of the Holy Spirit does not mean you have a demon-free zone or a Satan-free that you live in a Satan-free zone. James chapter four, <clears throat> verse seven. This is speaking to Christians. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Say, well, if I have Christ in me, uh, aren't I safe from him? Yes and no. He can't do anything that God doesn't let him do, and he can't do anything that you don't let him do. But by the same token, he is determined to destroy you and to destroy God. And so he is going to go after you. He's going to go after you. Make no mistake about it. You, you, are, you are a prime target if you're a follower of Jesus. You are a prime target. He exploits our sin weaknesses. First Peter 5, 8 talks about um, him, Satan roaming the world looking for someone to devour, someone to eat. And that's how he does it with us as Christians. You identify your sin weakness, I can guarantee you Satan's already been working on it. Um, one of the things that I have uh, the class do when we start Jesus is Everything is to sit down and write out all the sin weaknesses that you know you have in your life. Because we can't fight what we don't know, right? We can't do war with what we're, uh, with an enemy we're not um, clued in to. And one of the things that Satan loves to do with you and me as Christians is to conceal from us where our real weakness is or weaknesses are. And, and we, we pretend and we obfuscate and we hide from ourselves and we say, no, 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 that's not really a big deal in my life. That might be a big deal in that other person's life. And you know how it is. You see somebody who's stumbled in this area and that area and you, you say, well, I'm glad I don't have that problem. Uh, There was a time in my life and I had that problem, but I don't have that anymore. And yet if somebody knows you well enough, if you would let them speak into your life, they would say, brother, sister, you're kidding yourself. That's just not the case. Grand, Grand scheme against the enemy schemes, know your weakness. Know where your sin fault lines are. Know where you're vulnerable. Because that's the best way to fight off the enemy when it comes to our sin weaknesses. Uh, Secondly, Satan draws us away from God's plans towards his own plans. And sometimes this happens in the most innocent of ways. Classic example from Scripture, um, Matthew chapter 16. You remember the story Jesus was telling the disciples how he's going to die. going to have a horrible death. They're going to put me to death, going to crucify me. I'm going to be raised to death, uh, raised from the dead in the third day. And Peter says, oh, oh, no. If I have anything to say about it, that is never going to happen, Jesus. And do you remember what, how Jesus responded? Yeah, yeah. He didn't say, oh, Peter, I, I'm, I just appreciate your encouragement, brother. You, I thank so much for being in my corner. I, I appreciate that. And I hope when the, when the time of, uh, of testing comes that you and all the disciples are going to stand up for me. And you're going to get between me and my opponents. No, that's not what he said. In fact, he called Peter, one of his closest friends, Satan. And he said, get behind me. And then he explained why he called him Satan and why he said, get behind me. You do not have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of man. What did he mean? He meant, as Acts 4 insists, that Jesus coming here to die was God's specific, ordained, prepared plan. And it was a good plan because it was going to offer life to bums like me and you. And so if 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 he's going to go the way Peter wants him to go, that's the plans of man. That's not the plans of God. And listen, sometimes God has plans for you and me that are not pleasant. Sometimes God has plans for us that we would never want, never prescribe, never think of. And we're, we're pouring all of our energy into fighting that and, and running away from that. Rather than doing as the the son said, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And sometimes the baddest things that come across our plate in our lives are things that God has um, glory for him and good for us and good for others in. But we're so busy running from the bad and fighting the bad that we miss what God is up to and inadvertently miss what God what Satan is up to. How do we think about the enemy's works as believers? The last point I want to make. The enemy makes the world's way look far more appealing than God's way. And it makes the world's view of God look far more appealing than our way. Which makes it look ridiculous. And I'm thinking especially of the kinds of things that we see in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan came to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say? And he tried to convince Adam and Eve, specifically Eve, starting with Eve, that God only has his best interest in heart, not yours. God only wants wants to keep the, uh, the godness to himself, but if you eat this fruit, you'll become like him. You'll be a competitor to him. Satan is smooth as oil in telling us that God is not good and that Satan is. And that our opinion about God based on what the scripture tells us is really not that. It's not right. It's not true. Rather, Satan's opinion about God, and i.e. the world's opinion of God, that's what's really true. Increasingly, we live in a culture in which God is um, at best tolerated. But typically, even if he's tolerated, he is dismantled in such a way that he is powerless and that he is kind of like a grandfather Christmas. He doesn't really mess in anybody's life. He he wants nice things and only nice things for us. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake about it. Those kinds of things that maybe have half-truths in them, they come from the pit of hell. You want to know how to find out who God really is and what he's up to? Read this before and after you read the morning newspaper. Study this. Let its words sink deep into your soul after you watch the news. This is true. And everything else you hear is either a lie from the enemy or a half-truth from the enemy. And he loves half-truths because as we start to go like this, if we keep following that arc, eventually we will end up over here. So what do we do? How do we handle the stuff that the enemy throws at us? Let me just share a couple of scriptures with you. I'm going to close quick. Uh, first is e- Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. If you have the outline, they're all on here. Don't need to jot them down. That's that passage that talks about we're in a spiritual war with spiritual forces. And that we need to dress up in spiritual armor. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation. In other words, it's saying the things that God tells us in here about who we are in him, that's the best defense we could possibly have. The word of, God, t- word of God telling you about who you are and where you stand with God. And because of where you stand with God, you have a, a distancing between yourself and the enemy. That doesn't mean it can't get to you, but there's a distancing between the two of you. And that should reassure you. <clears throat> Secondly, second thing I want to encourage us with is the importance of a daily life of repentance. Martin Luther uh, said all of the Christian life is repentance. As I see weaknesses in my life and see vulnerabilities to sin, and then I sin, repent. Because when the devil sees us lingering in sin, he he realizes that he has an open door. Ephesians chapter four, verse uh, verses twenty six and twenty seven, talking uh, talk about us um, making peace with people before the night goes uh, before the sun goes down. Why is that? He says, because if we linger in our anger, it opens up a foothold to the devil. And that's true of any sin. If we linger in our sin, there's a, Satan sees a door of opportunity in your life and my life. And so all of life lived as repentance. Quick to notice my sin. Quick to repent before the Lord. That's, a, uh, th- that's part of the armor that we uh, live with. And then to pray. Oh, brothers and sisters. The warfare of prayer in fighting the enemy is so, so crucial. And even when we don't know uh, Satan's involvement in something, um, praying as if he might be involved, praying against his influence, praying against his power, praying against his work, and praying for the work of the Holy Spirit, whether it's in your life or the life of a brother or sister. Five years ago, I'll wrap up with this, President Obama uh, made the mistake when he sat down with a journalist and uh, they were discussing what had just happened in Fallujah, Iraq. ISIS, uh, which was essentially a non-entity on very few people's radar screens at that point, except for a couple of key intelligence operatives, had just taken over Fallujah, set up their caliphate. And uh, he was being asked about this by the journalist and Obama's response was, "Well, um, when a JV team puts on Lakers jerseys, that doesn't make them professional basketball players like Kobe Bryant." And he's taken enormous amount of heat for that in the years since, because he he was looking at ISIS as a non-factor. Al Qaeda was still all the rage. And um, we had already taken out bin Laden. And so surely some group like ISIS is a junior varsity squad. The title of my message this morning was Satan is a Junior Varsity. And on the one hand, we, we, we can't pretend he's nobody. He's a player. But if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ... Everything that happens in your life, he has to get permission for. He has to go to God and get a hall pass for. Make no mistake about it, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So be on guard, as the scripture says, be alert, but don't be afraid. Father, thank you for those truths. We're grateful that we don't need to be afraid. That those of us who know Christ, um, we we have um, a, a border wall around us. Now, it's not that it can't be penetrated, but no penetration occurs apart from your sovereign good plan, even for us. On the other hand, when I was 24 years old, I was a pawn in the enemy's hand. And I pray for those who might be pawns in the enemy's hands. May, may you open their eyes so that the blindness the God of this age has inflicted upon their eyes would end and they would see the goodness of gospel. That they would see that you have plans that are good for them. Not to harm them. That are good for them. And they might find hope in that. And that ultimately they might turn in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for the hope that we have in him. Thanks for the power that we have in him. Thanks that we serve not a demigod, but the God of the entire universe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand?